Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. Oh, and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Lieboff, and as always, I will be joined by my action colleagues, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DePundo. But before I bring in these two mentions to break down this weekend's Premier League slate, I would like to remind you, dear listener, that we are holding a contest. And all you need to do to enter said contest is leave us a nice review on the Wonder Goal podcast feed. If you do that and leave your Twitter handle in the review, you will automatically be entered in a contest to win the soccer jersey of your choice from this season. And with that out of the way, let's dive in to this week's Premier League headliner, El Sakiko. That's what all the cool kids are calling it. It's Tottenham Hotspur plus 190 home underdogs taking on Manchester United there plus 140. The draw plus 260. This one is a 1230 kickoff on Saturday. It is going to be hilarious, I think. I think every English soccer writer in the world has their quill sharpened. They're all heading to London for this match to dig either their quill into Nuno Espirito Santo or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. BJ, who do you think comes out of this match unscathed? Well, neither manager, honestly. But you know what's crazy is that I actually have some projected value on Manchester United in this one. And I'm going to tell you why. Yes, Manchester United's got a load of problems defensively right now, especially in transition. But I don't think that Tottenham is really the team that's going to be able to exploit them in transition like Liverpool did last Sunday. I mean, the Nuno Spurs, they're unbelievably bad. I mean, I think Nuno should be closer to losing his job than Ole Gunny Solskjaer should be to losing his job at Manchester United. Tottenham is only creating 0.99 non-penalty expected goals per match. That's 17th in the Premier League. They're averaging 10.56 shots per 90. That's 
19th in the Premier League. They've created only five big scoring chances. That's 16th. And they're averaging only 11.1 box entries per 90 minutes. That's 15th in the Premier League. And on top of all of that, they're not even able to win the ball back in the middle of the field and go forward in transition because they have the 18th best pressure success rate and they're 19th in ball recoveries. I mean, this team is so unbelievably bad. And I kind of wanted to ask you guys, how much do we think Harry Kane's going to go for at the January transfer window? Because he clearly doesn't want to be a Tottenham. He does not even seem like he wants to be on the field with them. That goal he gave up to Mikel Antonio, that was just zero effort. That was just a guy whose his head is somewhere else. He only has one goal in eight appearances in the Premier League, a 0.27 expected goal per 90 minute scoring rate. That's pathetic for a guy like Harry Kane. I mean, Manchester United's got their problems, but you know, offensively, they're still averaging 1.44 non-penalty expected goals per match. They're third in shots per 90 and they're third in box entries. So I have Manchester United projected at plus 123 and I'm going to keep fading this Spurs team until they show any sign of life. So give me Manchester United plus 140. Going to Manchester United after they got mollywopped. That was the word you used on our last podcast. You said you thought Liverpool was going to mollywop uh, Manchester United. I think you underestimated it. A 5-0 win yeah. uh, for Liverpool on Sunday. Uh, I'm with you. I think the only way to play this is United on the money line. If you do, I'm, I'm just... I might, if I'm going to watch it, just to have a little action on it, bet Manchester United, but I don't think there's too much value either way. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, you know, uh, Tottenham were, were pretty mediocre against West Ham. I didn't think they were particularly bad against West Ham. I thought there was a couple of set pieces uh, that they struggled to defend. But other than that, there weren't a, many clear chances uh, at, at either end. And, and Spurs had a few moves that almost came off. You know, Kane played a poor pass to Son. Son played a poor pass to Kane. They really haven't had that connection linking up thus far. This really comes down to one thing, and it's United has major defensive issues that stem from the top. And as Cristiano Ronaldo has the fewest pressures in the, in the league, they have no way of implementing any kind of pressing system. They have no way to win the ball back. Now, the question is, does that matter against Tottenham, who also has issues progressing the ball up the field, who have often looked lost with the ball at their feet and not really had a clear plan to get the ball into the final third to get to their good attackers? Well, does that matter in this game? I don't really think it does. You have kind of, it's kind of a stoppable force against a movable object. Tottenham doesn't want the ball. United wants the ball. So I think we're going to have long periods of United having the ball and kind of their defensive possession, similar to what they did last year. Tottenham, though, is good on the counter. And so I don't trust United's defense right now in transition against a, what I think is, will be a good counterattacking Tottenham side. But I think United will get some chances here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to play the United over one and a half goals. That's team total. Right now it's plus 105. I really have questions about this Tottenham defense. They've looked very shaky against the good teams they've played this season. And so that's where I'm going to be looking. I'm going to wait for lineups, though, because I'm concerned we may see some serious shakeup from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, knowing he's coaching for his job. Although those United teams always seem to find their best performances when Solskjaer is in danger. I wonder now, you know, is that still the same? Do the players want Ole around? Because that's the one thing that can really throw this off. If you're the players in the dressing room and you're tired of Ole, you know only one bad performance on Sunday is enough to get him out. So maybe that's in the back of the minds of some of these players. You know, I don't tend to get into the motivational stuff too much, but that's definitely something when the manager is on his last legs and needs a win. Do the players want to win for this guy? Uh, it's not clear. It's not clear that they wouldn't prefer maybe Antonio Conte. So I'm going to lean towards the United team total over because I trust their offense. Don't trust the defense whatsoever. But, you know, we'll see how this ends up looking when this, the lineups come out Sunday or Saturday afternoon. It's funny because today we're recording this on Wednesday. We saw a team that we all liked their chances. Rio Vallecano to pull the upset against Barcelona. They did. Ronald Koeman gets sacked pretty soon after that. And that was something I brought up. You know, 
is this Barcelona team, they know that Kuman was a kind of a lame duck coach. And does that go into your motivation for a game? And I think both of these teams, we see similar situations. And it also makes things kind of complicated for the clubs because look, if they want to get rid of Nuno or if they want to get rid of Solskjaer, now they're competing with Barcelona. So they kind of got to do it a little bit quicker. It's some interesting fodder for stuff. Like you said, we don't really tend to get into the motivational stuff here mostly stick to the numbers and that's why Brighton breaks our heart every week but it's just interesting stuff to think about when you are capping a match with that we can move on to the first kickoff on Saturday morning that's a 7 30 a.m start between Leicester at home they're plus 150 slight favorites against Arsenal plus 180 the draw coming back plus 245 I've been going against this Leicester team all season and I'm going to abandon that ship and back Leicester at plus 150 their offense started to come to life the past month or so they're now fourth in non-penalty expected goals in Premier League Arsenal defense still pretty shaky in, in that same uh statistic so I like uh, Leicester to be able to pull one over here on the Gunners. Anthony, anything on this one? Yeah, I agree. I'm on the Leicester draw no bet line at minus 115. My numbers make it 130. Trusting my numbers here, you mentioned it. Leicester started the season really poorly. They've started to turn that around. They had a devastating counterattack that really ripped apart Brentford and won that game for them when I didn't think they were the better team for large stretches of that match. But now they're at home. They're facing an Arsenal team that is going to have a lot of boring, slow possession that is going to look to break down opponents. I was against them last week. That was a bad call. Uh, But this time they're going on the road. Their defense has been very shaky throughout the course of the season. They're bottom five or six in most of the defensive metrics we look at. Their offense is, you know, playing a little better. But again, Lester and Brendan Rodgers will be able to get numbers behind the ball. Uh, Here, they're, they're not going to be as vulnerable in transition because Arsenal doesn't really play that way. So that's taking out what I think is the biggest weakness in this Leicester team. Kieran Tierney may not play. I know the left back they had play uh, on Friday had a great game, but Tierney is still their best crossing player. And that's a big way to get at this Leicester team that's really struggled with crosses. Uh, So I think I I like Leicester on the draw no bet line at home here to get a result. Uh, You know, I can definitely see this ending in a draw, but I think Leicester is the more likely winner. BJ, you're an Arsenal fan, but you have no problem going against Arsenal like a true cold-hearted better. What are you Mm -hmm. doing for this one? Yeah, just to show that I'm unbiased. Uh, Leicester, I'm also going Leicester draw no bet. Uh, Leicester's offense, like you guys mentioned, fantastic since September 19th when they lost to Brighton. 7.17 expected goals in their last four matches. Now, Jamie Vardy will be out for this match, but like we mentioned last week, Leicester has a ton of depth at the striker position right now with Kalechi Iheanacho and Pat Sadaka. Iheanacho is averaging 0.59 expected goals plus expected assists in his nine appearances in Dhaka. You know, he's played quite a bit in the Europa League. He's only gotten 73 minutes in the Premier League, but when he's come on, he's just been instant offense. 1.22 expected goals, 1.09 expected assists and only, you know, those 73 minutes. Defense is obviously still an issue for Leicester right now, but in that Brentford match, I mean, obviously Brentford created the big chance right away. And then after that, they didn't register a shot with an XG rating uh, over 0.13. So Leicester's defense really put the buckles down and stopped the bees from trying to get in. Arsenal has looked better. They looked great against Aston Villa last last Friday, but like Anthony mentioned, they do have some injury and illness issues coming to this. Uh, ben White got subbed off in the League Cup match with an illness. Like you said, Kieran Tierney is also questionable. Martin Odegaard also questionable for this one. So it's a couple things to monitor with Arsenal. And you guys already mentioned, I mean, their defense is lying 1.71 non-penalty expected goals per match this season. So Going up against one of the best offenses, potentially no Kieran Tierney or no Ben White is just a really bad matchup. I have Lester projected at plus 117, so I agree with you guys. Draw no bet line uh, at minus 115. 
three for three on Leicester there. You know what team does not mind all the rumors swirling, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, maybe even the Barcelona sacking? That's Newcastle United because a murderous regime just took over that team. So maybe get some of the attention taken off of them is not a bad thing for that club. They're plus 800 underdogs against Chelsea, who are minus 275 on the road. The draw four to one. This is a 10 a.m. Saturday kickoff. All three of us kind of think that Chelsea is a little overvalued in the betting market. One of the best teams in the world, sure, but that doesn't mean that they can't be a little overvalued. We've been trying to go against them. They played Malmo, then they played Norwich City, and now they're playing Newcastle. So once again, it's kind of hard to stomach a bet against them, but I do like the over here, uh, two and three quarters goals. The Chelsea defense is due to, to let some goals in. Newcastle's offense, nothing to write home about, but nothing too, too, too terrible. I, I don't think Chelsea will have a problem scoring two. I think that they could probably score three. Hell, they just scored seven a couple uh, days ago. So I like the over. I would play it up to like three and a half. Four. If you want to chase like an alternate number, go right ahead. Go big price hunting. Uh, but that's how I'm playing this one. BJ, what about you? I can't get behind this Newcastle defense right now. I mean, yeah, they did draw with Crystal Palace, but they got thoroughly dominated in that match. Their defensive numbers are really bad this season. 1.67 non-penalty expected goals allowed per match and 18 big scoring chances also allowed in nine matches is... Really, really bad. Offensively, they haven't been great either. Only 1.06 expected goals per match, but they do have some talented guys like Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximin who can get in behind this Chelsea back line. And hey, I mean, Newcastle's gotten on the board in eight of their nine matches uh, this season. So, and we've talked about it at length, but Chelsea is so overdue to concede goals. It's not even funny. They've allowed three goals this season off of 10.02 expected goals. That's crazy. And even offensively, they've scored 23 goals off of 16.55 expected goals. So they're running incredibly hot. I mean, even in their 7-0 win against Norwich, they only created 2.94 expected goals. Uh, and also Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner are going to be out for this match. So I can't get behind Newcastle on the spread or the money line just because of how bad their defense is. So instead, I'm going to take their team total over half goal at minus 110 and hope they get on the board against this Chelsea defense that is so overdue to concede a goal. Anthony, you've basically been banging that drum, that Chelsea defensive regression drum for a month now. Are you going to keep banging it? Yeah, until I'm broke. Uh, you know, <laughs> Chelsea Chelsea uh, was a team I consistently showed value on uh, last season at the end of the Frank Lampard regime when the performances were getting worse. It, it started to pick up uh, that they were playing at a lower level, but even throughout most of the fall and then into the spring, they were pretty undervalued, I thought, and I ended up backing them quite a bit. And the pendulum swings. Uh, they went from a very underperforming attacking team, um, you know, led by Timo Werner notoriously, uh, but there were others. Uh, and now they're, you know, finishing everything. And, you know, the Norwich game was a good win against a team that Norwich have traditionally really struggled against the big six sides because of how they like to play. Uh, you know, they, they try to play like a mid-table team with their passing and possession structures, and then they just get completely ripped apart. Uh, so that was a bad call on my part, you know, backing them against Chelsea. But the truth still remains, and I think Newcastle is a better team to get at this Chelsea defense than Norwich was. Chelsea, sixth best defense and expected goals allowed in games that are either tied or they're up a goal this year. So not quite as bad as the overall numbers because of those, you know, the red card that had a serious impact in that Liverpool game, but still due for some regression. And I understand that Edward Mendy has saved more goals for his team than anybody in Europe's top five leagues. Good for him. It doesn't matter if you consider him the best goalie of the world or not. That's an unsustainable pace. And, you know, the regression is eventually coming. And, you know, I probably should have been smarter and you know, not taking, you know, some pretty awful teams in Malmo and Norwich. But like BJ mentioned, Newcastle has shown an ability to counterattack effectively through St. Maximin, through Wilson. 
Uh, and so I think there will be a couple of chances. I think they'll be able to get one or two good chances and hopefully Wilson will take it and we can get on the board here. So I agree with BJ again, a lot of agreement between us this episode. Uh, Newcastle over half a goal is minus 110. Yeah, that's not good that we're agreeing so much. Not so, good at all. It's always nice to see you two getting along. Liverpool minus 400 home favorites against Brighton who are 10 to one right now. The draw plus 550. This is another 10 a.m. Saturday kickoff. The question for me is, can Brighton's defense hold up? They did not do that against Manchester City last weekend. I couldn't watch the game. Uh, I was doing something and while I was doing it, I I asked my Alexa what the score was because I was on the under and she told me it was three nil in like the whatever 38th minute or something. And that was thoroughly depressing, a really terrible way to lose a bet to hear a robot tell you that you did lose it. I'm going to Brighton here. 10 to 1. Too big. We love this team. They're good enough that when they're this at this number, you should always be interested. I don't think I've ever won a bet against Liverpool, and that streak will probably continue this week. BJ, are you going with your Seagulls? Yeah, but I'm not looking forward to this one. I mean, Liverpool just looks unstoppable right now, but I think we're reaching a point where Liverpool is going to be overvalued in pretty much every match where they play an inferior opponent. I mean, their offense with Mo Salah is averaging 2.77 non-penalty expected goals per match, and they're number one in pretty much every single offensive metric. But I do think there are a couple things that Brighton can do to give them some trouble. So first off, Brighton will be able to handle Liverpool's high press because they're fourth in offensive passes per defensive action and third in pressure success rate allowed. Defensively, they also have the third best pressure success rate in Liverpool's 12th against pressure this season. So to beat Liverpool, you almost have to beat them at their own game. And Brighton is capable of doing that. Plus, you know, their best midfielder, Basuma, came off the bench in the League Cup match against Leicester on Wednesday. So hopefully he'll be back in the lineup along with Enoch and Waipu, who are two incredible pressing midfielders. And Liverpool is a little banged up in the midfield. You know, James Milner and Naby Keita went off with injuries against Manchester United. Uh, Thiago is still out, so they're pretty thin in the midfield, which will favor Brighton if Mwepu and Basuma uh, are playing together. And uh, I really hope they are. But projection-wise, I only have Liverpool at minus 203, so I do like Brighton's spread of plus two at minus 140. But I would caution people to wait until Saturday for two reasons. One, I want to make sure that Basuma and Mwepu are in the lineup together. And second off, I think Liverpool is going to get steamed hard on Saturday. Everybody just sees Liverpool, how good they are. And they might go up to minus 430, minus 450, and you might be able to get Brighton at a better price. So at the time of taking this, I'll take Brighton plus two at minus 140. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who Georgia or Alabama are playing this weekend in college football, but I wouldn't be surprised if some books take a lot of uh, get out of jail free cards with uh, parlays with Liverpool and one of those SEC powerhouses. Uh, Anthony, you have to be joining us here, right? Backing Brighton some way. Yeah, you know, I think I'm starting to cool a little bit. And and I I think my best call last week was staying off the Brighton train uh, for a change, but they got throttled. But I, I think City is just a bad matchup. City is just a much better version of what Brighton wants to do. Whereas what BJ mentioned, you know, everybody wants to talk about how amazing Liverpool was against Manchester United. I actually didn't think they were that good. Uh, I thought it was more of a of, of United being really bad. Uh, Liverpool were very sloppy in the midfield. They still allowed 11 shots in the first 40 minutes of the game. They allowed over one and a half expected goals to Manchester United. They played one of the lightest midfields that they can possibly play. Fabinho is questionable for this match. When Fabinho is out, it forces Henderson to do more running that he's not really able to do anymore. He doesn't quite have the defensive solidity that he used to as he's getting older. Thiago is out. He's such a great press resistant player. He's so good at, at keeping the ball recycling possession. He's likely not going to play. Like you mentioned, James Milner is unlikely to play. So who's Liverpool going to in this in this midfield? And Klopp may make the same choice. He may say, we're going to outscore Brighton. And they probably will. And they almost certainly will outscore Brighton in this game. But they're also going to be open at the back in the same way. 
And for that reason, I'm taking both teams to score at plus 105. I think Brighton gets on the board here. Brighton, as BJ mentioned, pretty press resistant. We'll be able to play through the press a little bit get together some passing combinations and move the ball up the field and not be overwhelmed by the Liverpool press. So I think that's a big part of this one and two Liverpool's defense is due for some negative regression. They've allowed about six actual goals from a little over 10 expected, Uh, you know, Manchester United probably should have got one, maybe even two in that game. So like I mentioned, it wasn't a completely comprehensive performance from Liverpool reading between the lines, looking at some of the numbers. And if they play a similarly light midfield, it doesn't have a lot of defensive solidity. I think Brighton gets on the board here. So I like the Seagulls and the Reds, both teams to score plus 105. Uh, Liverpool's main title contender right now, I would say Man City. They're minus 650 home favorites against Crystal Palace, a team that I've really liked to back this year. Uh, they're 16 to one on the money line, the draw plus 750. This is another 10 a.m. Saturday kickoff. City's defense is still spectacular. And we said last week when we backed the Brighton City under, the question is, how many goals is Manchester City going to score? And I had enough faith in the Brighton defense that they wouldn't be able to push the to, to catch the over by themselves. That was wrong. City did just that. And guess what? I'm going to do the same exact thing this week. Can the Palace defense play well enough to prevent City from scoring over three goals? Because I think that's the only way that this over really will cash. So I like the under plus 125 at under three. I mean, the Man City unders, they're so hard to look away from, right, BJ? Yeah, I'll join you on the pain train because, I mean, look, Manchester City's awesome. Like, what else are we going to say? They have a plus 16.34 non-penalty expected goals in nine matches, so they're just as incredibly dominant as they were last year. And this is another match where they're going to have a large share of the possession because Liverpool, sorry, not Liverpool, Crystal Palace is not the time team that stylistically was going to play an open game with Pep Guardiola, uh, mainly due to the fact that their defense is much improved from last season. You know, I really like what Crystal Palace did in the transfer window, you know, selling off a lot of their old underperforming players and bringing in young, exciting prospects like Mark Gia and Joachim Anderson as a center back pairing, which is been really good this season. They're all, Crystal Palace is only allowing 1.15 non-penalty expected goals per match when last season they allowed 1.55. However, their offense is still really struggling. 18th in non-penalty expected goals, 17th in shots per 90, and 12th in box entry. So I don't really know how they're going to break down the Manchester City back line. That's only about, I think, five expected goals total in nine matches. But projection-wise, I only have 2.8 goals uh, for this match. So I agree with you, Michael. Under three goals at plus 25 has some value, but it's not going to be a fun bet. Anthony, can we convince you to, to join this ice cold pain jacuzzi over here? It's going to be terrible. It's a hard pass. Uh, the, the market is, I, look, I'm starting to show value on city unders almost every week too. And I'm thinking that, you know, some of our 2021 data is baked into our numbers, obviously, as we, as we project these. And I'm starting to think that City's playing a little differently this year. They look like they're more willing to play in transition. The addition of Jack Grealish, who might be the best open field player in the Premier League in terms of his ability to carry the ball up the field, to create for others, uh, to run into space. He was so good at that with Villa last year. He's almost better at that than he is at breaking down low blocks because he wasn't asked to do that quite as much uh, at Villa, whereas that was more of a De Bruyne thing, you know, with playing that perfect pass. Uh, And so they looked way more dangerous, Foden as well. Uh, in, in transition, uh, they've also looked a little more open at the back. And I know it hasn't quite come off into chances all the time, uh, but, I, you know, you go back and you watch like the Club Bruges game, you know, when City went into the Champions League last year, it was nothing like no teams could get any shots off at all. And you had Club Bruges create over one expected goal, uh, Brighton for all of that game that was a blowout. Now, of course, a lot of it came at the very end of the game, but Brighton creating, you know, ultimately getting the penalty, but creating a decent amount of chances as well. I just don't trust 
you know, I don't want to bet against the city attack right now because of how dangerous they've looked in transition. And I think they're a little more vulnerable this year defensively. I think it's probably a good trade-off for Pep Guardiola in terms of trying to win a Champions League and, and trying to repeat as Premier League champions. Uh, but it's going to keep me off this under. So I'm going to wait. And uh, I think we're going to stop seeing two and a halves because if we start seeing two and a halves again on City, we may need to, you know, start playing some overs. Lovely, 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 lovely stuff. One of the great things about our podcast compared to other uh, soccer podcasts is that a game like Burnley versus Brentford or Watford versus Southampton, they might gloss over those. While we won't be diving deep into those if we don't see value on them, we still want to at least give you uh, some information in case you are out there trying to get action down on them. Burnley, this is a 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. Burnley plus 175 at home against Brentford, plus 170. The draw plus 225 in a funny kind of twist of the narrative here the Burnley games have been all action you know we're seeing two twos last like last weekend there's goals at both ends of the pitch we're seeing Burnley score goals get ruled out at the last minute to win and then they still haven't won a game this team is actually kind of pure chaos which is not what you think of when you think of Sean Dyche's Burnley I got nothing on this game but I do think it's actually more interesting than people will uh realize and if you know all things being equal I wish more people would tune into it but I think a lot more people will probably turn to uh, Liverpool or Man City. Anthony, how are you seeing this one shake out? Yeah, you know, two big injuries for Brentford that make this uh, a stay away from me or else I'd probably be on the bees. Uh, their goalkeeper, uh, Raya, picked up a significant knee injury. It looks like he's going to be out probably a couple months. Uh, not really clear, but either way, he's not playing on Saturday, which is all that matters here. Uh, and so, you know, that's a big loss for, you know, somebody who started every match this year and who's been very good in goal and is a major reason that their their defense has been so good. He's actually been pretty good at claiming crosses and whatnot too, uh, David Raya. So that's one loss. And the second one is Brian Mbwemu, who picked up a knock and may be out as well. Uh, and so Mbwemu and Tony are so important in terms of their ability to connect and to interplay and to produce high quality chances, which has really been what Brentford's calling card has been. Uh, and so I don't really trust them here. And I think this is pretty much going to be the first match where they're going to be asked to be the aggressors. Uh, they've, they've kind of been able to be a, a low block team and kind of a, a very effective counterattacking team. They did that really well against Wolves and Liverpool and West Ham uh, and, and even Chelsea, even though they didn't win and Leicester sort of, but they're going to really be asked to take it to Burnley here away from home. That's very tough to do. Set piece edge kind of nullified given how good Burnley is and, and Brentford. So may come down to who executes their set pieces, but I'm staying away from this one. Yeah, I actually think I lean towards Burnley here. Like you said, it's just it's not a great spot for Brentford either. The letdown kind of angle is is definitely hanging over their head there. We'll see. You can follow us, all of us in the action app, obviously, to see if a, a play comes through. But if it's either Burnley or pass for me, let's move on. Uh, like I said, Watford and Southampton are playing. This is another 10 a.m. kickoff. Watford at home plus 220, Southampton plus 130, the draw plus 250. If you turned off the Everton Watford game at the 78th minute last weekend, it was 2-1 Everton. I thought I'd, I made a savvy betting move. I watched that line crash, got him at minus 130 after his hanging at like minus 165 for most of the week. That game ended up 5-2. Three goals from Josh King, who had a three-month spell at Everton where he scored zero goals uh, for them. So that was obviously coming for if you're an Everton fan like I am. You saw that one coming from a mile away. One of the weirdest, kind of most dreadful losses I've ever seen that team lose. And I've seen them do a lot of things that's caused, has caused me a lot of pain over the years. Watford's defense is still too porous to like get behind. Like even with Claudio Ranieri coming in, maybe solidifying it. I think the number's a little bit tempting with them at home coming off a big win. Maybe he can get something. I don't really like the Southampton team that much, but for me, I'm staying away. Anthony, what about you? 
I have a lean to the over two and a half goals here. It, it really is all about Southampton here, and, and they're playing much better than their position in the table indicates. They're pretty even on expected goals difference. They're actually ahead of Manchester United, Tottenham, and Arsenal in the XG table now. Uh, you know, some of that is schedule. They have not played a couple of teams that I think uh, could, could give them some trouble. But Southampton has underperformed their expected goals going forward quite a bit. And I also think Watford is the kind of team with their ability on the counterattack to get through this press that can give the Southampton defense, which has conceded a lot of high quality chances and been their downfall, could create some chances the other end. So I'm going to be looking to play in over here. I may get in live. I may not even play it. Like Michael mentioned, follow me in the Action Network app because that's where I'm going to you know, make that decision and post it uh, before the game on Saturday. Uh, so we'll see, but I lean towards the over. And with that, we'll flip the page to Sunday, Norwich City at the foot of the table. They're plus 240 at home against Leeds, who are surprisingly in a relegation battle and a real one. This is a legitimate relegation scrap for uh, Marcelo Bielsa's Peacocks. They're plus 110 on the road to draw, plus 260, 10 a.m. kickoff. I like the matchup for Leeds. I'm going to I'm gonna take it. feels kind of trappy, plus 110 right now. But when you're backing Leeds, you want to do it against a team that maybe can't hit them back on, on the counter. And this this is uh, Norwich City's terrible offense versus Leeds' terrible defense. But the difference is Leeds has the terrible offense to go against another terrible defense. So I actually think Leeds on the money line. I also wouldn't be opposed to people who are chasing uh, big prices on the alt lines, minus one and a half, minus two and a half, if you want to get crazy. So yeah, I'm going with the Peacocks here. BJ, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, Norwich didn't deserve to have seven goals, put it past them against Chelsea, but this defense is still just so bad right now. They're allowing 1.87 non-penalty expected goals per match. That's dead last in the Premier League. They're allowing 16.1 shots per 90, 16 big scoring chances, 17.89 box entries per match. It's it's just really bad news for Norwich right now. And I know Leeds is currently without Patrick Bamford, but they have plenty of other attacking players that can get forward and easily break down Norwich's back line. I mean, Leeds ninth in non-penalty expected goals, sixth in shots per 90, and seventh in box entries. They just haven't been able to create many big scoring chances. But what better time to do it than against the worst defense in the Premier League? And what's really troubling, though, about Norwich is that, like you mentioned, their offense is just as bad as their defenses. They're only creating 0.69 non-penalty expected goals per match. They're dead last in shots per 90 and box entries. I mean, Leeds obviously hasn't been great uh, based on expected goals defensively, but they are allowing the sixth fewest box entries and the fifth fewest crosses completed in their only 10 yard box. And Leeds is also the number one team in the Premier League in passes per defensive actions and fifth in pressure success rate. So I do think they'll be able to dominate this game and basically pin Norwich in kind of like what Leeds did to Wolves in the second half last week. So I agree with you. I have Leeds projected at minus 109. So I do think there's some value on them right now, at plus 110. Yeah, and Leeds, I think, are a team to keep in your pocket, maybe as they could be undervalued just because of how terrible they've been to start the season when when players do get back and this team starts firing a little bit playing uh Bielsa ball we noted a couple of weeks ago about the Bielsa burnout effect that could be true but these prices and it's not gonna happen against Norwich City obviously but against other teams could really really start to overcorrect Anthony uh what do you have on this game Leeds is bad like we have to stop sugarcoating it. Um, they're really bad. They, they had a good performance against Wolves, but they went down in the eighth minute. Wolves kind of bunkered in a little bit, protected the lead. Leeds led for eight, or Wolves led for 80, 80 minutes of that game, which is a stoppage time penalty that kind of inflates Leeds numbers. Yeah. Can we just not, let's not talk about that game. Yeah. That was, that was, that was awful. That was awful. Tough. I had what always Wolves doing. Yeah. They weren't even trying to score, which why were they no even sense. trying to go forward? It made no sense. Whatever. Yeah. They, they, they had 80 minutes to find another goal to get that team total for me too. And they didn't. Uh, so they're dead to me may end up backing them on Monday. We'll see. Uh, but as far as this Leeds team goes, I mean, they have performed very mediocre 
every match pretty much. I mean, they, they lost to uh, Everton on expected goals. They got thumped by Man United, played pretty even with Burnley, played relatively even with Newcastle, uh, got thumped by Liverpool, thumped by West Ham, had one great performance against Watford at home, thumped at Southampton, beaten pretty handily by Arsenal in the League Cup with a pretty solid team out there. And they still have to play Leicester, Tottenham, Chelsea, City, Arsenal in the first round of matches here. So this schedule is not easy either. Uh, so I think Leeds are firmly in the relegation battle. But anytime I look at my little XG difference chart to goal difference chart, and I see two teams at the bottom of it, when you have Leeds and Norwich in attack, automatic look to the over uh, just out of principle. And so I lean that way. But like Michael mentioned, this Norwich offense, this attack is so bad um, that, I mean, if they can't score at home against Leeds, I mean, they're going to get relegated either way. But if they can't score at home against Leeds, we're in like, historically bad territory in terms of attack. So you're playing one of the worst attacks in the league who are shorthanded in some spots, worst defenses in the league, who are shorthanded in some spots. And, uh, you know, you're getting them at home. Uh, you know, if you can't score there, like I mentioned, historically bad. So I lean towards the over two and a half. I think this game is going to be pretty open. Uh, I think that's the only way Leeds knows how to play. And so Norwich need the win like blood. So they have to get three points. They can't settle for, for one here. Uh, and so I will, Look towards the over. Yeah, we're dangerously approaching Derby County territory yeah. with Norwich yeah. right now. 11, 11 point Derby County 11 territory. points. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a, a fun race to watch. Norwich versus Derby County. They're at, what, two right now? Yeah. So, and they it's were gonna... two goalless draws, right? I think, yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll move out of East Anglia and into the Midlands. Aston Villa, plus 175 home favorites against the best team in the world. West Ham, they're plus 155 on the road. The draw is plus 240. BJ, you have a fun little angle for this one. Yeah, I don't really have a play on the match, but I do think from before you you know, want to talk about futures really quick, West Ham is hanging out there at six to one to finish inside the top four. And I absolutely think that is crazy because Right now, Tottenham and Arsenal are ahead of them. And this West Ham team is clear and away a top five team in the Premier League. And with Manchester United regressing the way they are, I mean, West Ham is top five in non-penalty expectables, both offensively and defensively, and top five in pretty much every single offensive metric. And listen, David Moyes has has done a fantastic job at West Ham. I know he's been made fun of and everything in the past, but he has done a fantastic job with the 4-2-3-1 with the Hammers. They have a complete defense, a really good offense with Mikel Antonio up top. And hey, you know, what they might be players in the January transfer market because they do have some capital to play with. Maybe Jesse Lingard comes back and revitalizes the offense even more. So at a price of six to one right now for a team that's currently in fourth place with Manchester United regressing the way it is, listen, there's no way Tottenham's going to get up in the top four. And I'll just say it, Arsenal's not finishing in the top four either. So I think West Ham might make the Champions League next year and we might be seeing David Moyes maybe on a a rainy day in uh, Kiev or something. But for this match specifically, I mean... Astonville's offense isn't really that great since Jack Grealish has left. They're 16th in non-penalty expected goals per match. Um, defensively, they're not that great either. But from a projection standpoint, I have West Ham at plus 145. So uh, it's a pass for me, but I do think that price in West Ham at 6-1 to one to finish top four is only going to shrink uh, as the days go along. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot. I like West Ham plus 155. I was very wrong about Aston Villa going into the season. I thought they would be able to kind of handle the realish blow a little bit better than they have, especially going forward, kind of a create chance by committee did not work out. This team is a uh, in the red and expected goal difference per 90. We can say all we want, all the accolades we want for David Moyes, who actually met once uh, in Philadelphia when Everton were doing a tour. Really nice guy. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy for, for David Moyes and West Ham. I'm going to back the hammers plus plus one fifty five. I just think this, this team's 
like BJ said, I, I if Manchester United was in this spot or if who and they just were they were home against Villa, but like I view this team on par with United, basically maybe a little bit better. I don't think plus one fifty five would be next to Manchester United if they were playing Villa on the road in this one. Uh, so I like the Hammers, Anthony. Do you have anything for this one? I also like the Hammers. I wrote about this in my weekly weekend recap that I do that you can find uh, on the Action Network. Uh, I typically take three or four takeaways of things that I find interesting that are, you know, digging into the numbers. Last weekend, I wrote about Man United and their failures. I wrote about Syria, which I'll, we'll get to. And I wrote about West Ham, who has played a lot differently this year. They're playing a lot more like a top four team. Last year, they were pretty near the bottom in possession. They were 16th in possession, uh, 16th in progressive passes. This year, they're up to 10th in possession. They're fifth in progressive passes. They're up from 14th to fourth in passing to the penalty area. They're playing like a team who's getting more respect from their opponents. They're playing like a team who's able to boss matches more and create chances that way instead of relying on set pieces and counters. They're pressing more. They're winning the ball more in terms of ball recoveries and passing and progressing. Uh, And the addition of Kurt Zuma has really made this defense a lot better. They're up from ninth in expected goals allowed to fifth. The only reason they really got into the top six last year was the red hot finishing run that Jesse Lingard went on the second half of the season kind of bolstered them. The only concern, and and I see BJ's point on the value, is it really comes down to whether or not Mikel Antonio can stay healthy. And he has not proven that over the course of his career. So that's the major risk here. I'm hoping uh, United loses a couple more matches and we can get some uh, new manager in here. Because if we do, I'll be looking to buy United top four, similar to last year with Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel coming in for Frank Lampard. But Right now, in this match specifically, I like West Ham on the draw no bet line at minus 120. Not like B, uh, like Michael mentioned, Villa was my favorite team to back last year. They've really fallen off. The midfields regressed hard. Their numbers are just not impressive. They don't progress the ball. They don't win the ball as much. And so those issues in personnel department are glaring. West Ham should be able to dominate this game and win it. Uh, and so draw no bet minus 120. And let's wrap up the Premier League portion of the show, Monday Night Football. Don't want to talk about this game because I'm still mad at Everton. Uh, Wolves are plus 125 at home. Everton plus 235. The draw plus 225. I was really excited about the way Everton started the season. Their underlying numbers were good. I kind of got caught up maybe in the hubbub a little bit because you look at the team sheet with with Calvert-Lewin and then Richarlison hurt and now Yerry Mina hurt and Seamus Coleman was out. Abdullah Decore is out. Like it's just this team is too thin to keep getting results uh, that showed against Watford of all teams. I think Wolves could be worth a bet if Yerry Mina is out again on Monday because Ben Godfrey just has not recovered from COVID well without uh, Michael Keane having like a solid center back partner. The, the defense has been a shambles. Uh, they just allowed five goals to Watford four in the second half. So I'm really afraid to back Everton, even at that number and Wolves. I still like them. I like Bruno Lage, even though they kind of in Chateau de Bowell with me right now because of the way they finished that match with Leeds. Uh, but if you're is out Wolves, anything even money or better for me, BJ, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the over two and a half goals at plus 120 in this match. Like I already mentioned, very weird second half from Wolves on Saturday against Leeds. It's almost like they were just happy to play, try to see the game out defensively, which is not the Wolves that we've come to know and come to see this season. But defensively this season, they have been really good. You know, they're top five in non-penalty expected goals, shots per 90, and big scoring chances allowed. But they haven't actually faced a murderer's row in terms of offenses. You know, they've only faced one offense ahead of Everton based on expected goals this season and seven of their nine opponents 
are in the bottom half of the table and expected goals for. And I know Everton's going to be without Dominic Calvert-Lewin for this match. So we can all just rip up our golden boot futures right now because it looks like he's going to be out for four to five weeks. But the return of Richarlison was huge. And you saw he was absolute instant offense once he got on the pitch against Watford last Saturday. But at the same time for Everton defensively, I don't really know what happened. I was st- I'm was i still in shock, Michael, like you. I just, I don't know why Everton's defense just looked like Swiss cheese and allowed Watford to just make one pass and score every single time. And, you know, Wolves is a much better offense to, to break down uh, Everton's defense. And without Yuramina, like you mentioned, it's going to make things a lot more difficult. So uh, I have 2.4 goals projected for this match. So I'm going to go over two and a half goals at uh, plus 120 or better. All right. Uh, with that, let's move on to Germany. The Bundesliga, as always, is just off the charts. My favorite bet this week is, I, I mean, I, I kind of just zero, I've been zeroing in on these Dortmund matches because I think they're a pretty easy team to read when they play a team that doesn't produce a lot offensively and maybe is a little leaky defensively. I like to back Dortmund on like maybe minus one and a half. This week, they're going against Cologne, who you guys both were saying over the midweek that this is a good team. They're a decent offensive team. So I like to over three and a half goals right now. Just it's a tempting bet. It's a good number. Like I said, the Cologne defense is not good. They're 16th in non-penalty expected goals against. They're 17th in big chances allowed, but their offense is good. They're fourth in creating big scoring chances. This thing should be wide open. So I like over three and a half in this one. BJ, what about you? Yeah, let's go Mines plus 115 against Armenia Biafield. I mean, Biafield's terrible at both ends of the pitch. They're bottom four in shots per 90, passes per defensive actions, box entries, and crosses completed in their own 18-yard box. Also, they're the number one team in the Bundesliga in total pressures, but they have the worst pressure success rates. And that's exactly how you have to beat this Mines team because they're the worst team in the Bundesliga against pressure. However, Mines offensively has been pretty good. You know, ninth in non-penalty expected goals, sixth in big scoring chances, and they just put it on Augsburg uh, last Friday. And Augsburg's a very team, similar team stylistically to what Biafield does. So with Mines creating 3.53 expected goals, they should be able to just thrash uh, Biafield's defense. But what I love about this matchup is I don't really know how Armenia Biafield is going to be able to create anything against Mines because Mines' defense is really good. They're allowing only one non-penalty expected goal per match, which is second in the Bundesliga, and they've also allowed only five big scoring chances in a league where it seems like there are hundreds of big scoring chances every single weekend. Um, so I I really think that this Mines team is just going to be able to thrash Biafield like they did Augsburg last Friday. I have them projected at minus 104, so I do like Mines uh, at plus 115 on the road. And Anthony, where are you going for your favorite bet in Germany this weekend? Yeah, I've been fading them for most of the last month or two. Uh, Wolfsburg plus a half at minus 110 right now. believe you can find some minus 105s, have multiple outs, check for different numbers. Uh, but Wolfsburg here, just undervalued after, after a really, really, really bad run of performances. I mean, they have really struggled in the Champions League. They haven't uh, gotten any wins there. They've struggled even more in the Bundesliga where they've lost four in a row now. So Hoffenheim, Magladbach, Union Berlin, and Freiburg all beat them in consecutive matches. But they're starting to get to the point now where they're undervalued. They've only scored nine goals from 14 expected. So expecting some positive regression there. And I, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record because I can do this every week, but Leverkusen, when they've played in even game states this year, has a plus 0.14 expected goal difference per 90. Their actual goal difference in tied games is plus 1.27. Everybody's finishing at a crazy rate. They actually blew a lead against Cone, almost got my money line in there on Cone late. But this Leverkusen team, not built to play with a lead, not nearly as good defensively as their defensive record shows, and nowhere near as good offensively as their attacking record shows. 
So going to keep fading them until we, we continue to cash tickets because it's, it's coming. So I like Wolfsburg plus a half. Uh, from Germany, let's head south to Italy, Syria. Uh, my favorite bet this weekend is Napoli. Uh, league leaders, they just dropped their first two points in a draw against Roma last weekend. I like them to hold Salernitana and win to nil. Look, this is a really, really good Napoli team. We talked about them last on Monday in the midweek show. This is they're built on a great defense, but their offense is pretty good too. They're top five in uh, non-penalty expected goals, uh, shots per ninety, big chances. So I don't see Salernitana being able to absorb this offense, and I definitely don't see them scoring against the best defense in uh, Syria. So I'll take the uh, the win to nil at plus one twenty-five Sunday one p.m. kickoff uh, if you're trying to get on that one. BJ, what's your favorite bet in Italy this weekend? Well, yeah, the Salernitana uh, Venetia match, the red card that was given, and that was another an match we'll never travesty. talk about again. I don't, and we'll never talk about those two teams again, but that was a travesty. I just want to put that out there. I like Torino plus 110 against Sampdoria at home. I mean, you guys met, were on it this week in our last podcast, Torino against AC Milan, finished with a 1 0 result. So everybody pushed their, their plus ones, but. This Torino team, like you guys mentioned, is really good, especially defensively. The third in non-penalty expected goals allowed, first in shots per 90 allowed, and third in box entries allowed, first in ball recoveries. So this is a really good defense that I know we just mentioned, lost 1-0 to AC Milan on Tuesday, but they only allowed Milan to create 1.01 total expected goals. And the Torino offense actually has been pretty good as well, averaging 1.35 expected goals per match. They're fifth in big scoring chances, sixth in crosses completed into the box. And they're also the fourth best team against pressure. And, you know, Torino lost three of the last four matches, but three of those losses were to AC Milan, Napoli, and Juventus, and all the matches they lost ended in a 1-0 result. In Sampdoria, who just lost to Atalanta today 3-1, they're really bad defensively. 17th and non-penalty expected goals, shots per 90 allowed, and big scoring chances allowed. And offensively, things aren't much better considering they're only creating 1.03 expected goals per match and the second worst team against pressure in Serie A. So I have Torino projected at minus 118. I think I'm going to keep riding this team because they're coming through, especially against uh, lesser opponents. So I think there's some value on them right now at plus 110. Yeah, Torino, uh, good team. Good, good team. Anthony, what is your favorite bet in your homeland, your motherland, Italy? Italy is indeed my uh, homeland, I guess. I am very Italian, but I've never been to Italy. Hope, hopefully to get there one day. But I will be taking a trip to the capital of Italy for my pick of the weekend in Serie A. I have the preview for this match, uh, so you can read that on the Action Network app. should be up on Saturday. Uh, Roma and Milan, under three goals at minus 130. Uh, it's a little bit juicy, but I'm willing to pay it for the three-goal protection here because I've, the Serie A goal run has just been absurd. There's going to be regression in this league. Eventually, we're going to get there. BJ and I have talked about it. They're running about 30 goals over their numbers. So it's about 12% of the league. So the league's running about 12% over their expected numbers. And a team can do that in the short term. A player can do that in the short term. Even a league can do that in the short term. Uh, But especially, you know, as the numbers get bigger, you tend to see some serious regression. So we're going to get regression here. Hopefully it comes. I really like the way this game matches up, though, as well. Roma, it's fun to see how a manager can have an impact on a team's stats in just a short amount of time. Because when you look at the Romo statistical profile, they are 14th in passes per defensive action. That is a Jose staple. They are going to allow teams to have the ball. They're going to allow teams to pass in harmless areas. And then they're going to press when needed. They're eighth in pressure success rate. They're going to be 19th in ball recoveries, which is the the second worst in the league. They don't win the ball back a ton, but they're dangerous on the counter. They're top five in big scoring chances created. They're actually number one in shots, which is not necessarily Mourinho-esque, but They're also only eighth in possession percentage. So they're going to ask Milan. They're going to give the ball to Milan. They're going to say, have the ball. And then they're going to dare Milan to try to beat them. And Roma is going to try to hit them on the counter. 
What we've seen with Milan is they're much better in transition. They're much better in space. They have not been great in terms of trying to break down defenses. They're starting to scuffle a little bit. We're seeing a, a significant downturn in their performances in the last few matches. I think four or five matches now you can say they've definitely not looked quite as sharp. Set pieces are going to be a major concern. Milan has seemingly scored all their goals off set pieces recently. That's how they got the goal to beat Torino. That's going to be a defensive issue for Roma here. But if Roma is solid defensively on set pieces, I think it's going to be a very low scoring game, kind of a grinded out type game. Uh, and so under three goals at minus 130 is where I'm going for that one. And, and like I mentioned, you can read my preview where I will dive more into the numbers on the Action Network app and website. All right, let's move on to Spain. La Liga, uh, my favorite bet. I love both of these teams. David Moyes' former club, Real Sociedad, taking on Athletic Bilbao. This is Sunday, 4 p.m. kickoff. Uh, we catch it on the Monday show. I like the draw, plus 235. I'll keep banging this drum. Athletic Bilbao matches are hilariously low event. Right now, they're averaging 1.56 total goals per match. Uh, that is absurd. That's uh, They've only allowed five goals and four from open play all season long. So uh, this team is a defensive power. They don't score much either. And Real Sociedad's really good. I think that this is a match where I can see both teams slugging it out and ending 1-1, nil-nil, something like that. As a sign of La Liga's downturn, Bilbao is now leading the XG table in XG difference per 90 after this week's matches with Barcelona, Real Madrid struggling there uh, and dropping points. It's it's an absurd team. Well. And it's, it's an absurd team. It's a uh, Samuel Beckett. I think uh, the writer would really like La Liga. It's just absurd and nihilistic. Anthony, it's very uh, bad right now. <laughs> Anthony, what, in this very bad league, what is your your favorite bet for the weekend? Yeah, so I looked at the board. I didn't love a ton. I leaned towards Sociedad. Uh, I think they're, you know, you mentioned Bilbao's excellent defense. They are due for a little bit of defensive regression. Uh, I don't really buy them only allowing this few goals and in and, and terms of them being the best defense in La Liga. They're definitely one of the better ones, but underperforming their numbers, definitely going to be conceding some goals in the future. And why not Sociedad? Now, Sociedad has not played as a recording in their Thursday match, so I'll be waiting to see the result of that and kind of how they look and play and they get less rest than Bilbao. So that definitely factors into this. Uh, so right now, nothing for me concrete, but we'll be looking to play some Sociedad. BJ, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go Barcelona Alaves under three goals at plus 110. I mean, we talked about it last week. The Barcelona offensive regression since Lionel Messi left has been really significant. They're only averaging 1.78 non-penalty expected goals per match, which is way down from last year. And they're going up against an Alaves team that's going to play very defensive, uh, kind of like Raya Valicano did after they went up a goal on Wednesday. You know, Alaves is going to be fighting against relegation all season long, but they're 10th in, you know, both non-penalty expected goals allowed and 10th in big scoring chances allowed. They play out of usually out of a 4-4-2, and it usually leads to a lot of low-scoring matches. Only one time in their 10 matches this season have there been more than three goals scored, and that's mainly due to the fact that their offense is also really bad. They're 17th in non-penalty expected goals per match, 15th in box entries, 18th in big scoring chances while Barcelona has been really good defensively only 0.96 non-penalty expected goals allowed per match they're the best pressing team in La Liga by passes per defensive action and pressure success rate while Alaves is below average against pressure also only two of Barcelona's first 10 matches domestically have gone over three goals so I only have 2.82 goals projected for this match so I think there's some value on under three goals uh, especially at plus 110 and we'll uh, wrap this section of the show up with a portion of this the show that I like to sit out. I like to let BJ kind of take the reins. He is League Owns biggest fan in Iowa for sure. Uh, so what is your favorite bet in the French top flight this weekend? 
Yeah, let's go to the premier match, uh, PSG versus Lil on Friday. I mean, look, PSG has been really good in, in league on there, but they're going to be overvalued in this spot because Lil is somehow better in their metrics this season than they were in their title campaign last year, but they're in 10th place this year. On paper, they've you'll see they've allowed 16 goals and only scored 14, but actually they're number one in league on in non-penalty expected goals allowed at 8.38. So they're due for some positive regression. Uh, defensively, they're also the number one team in big scoring chances allowed. They've only allowed uh, seven in their 11 matches, and they're also the third best team in box entries allowed. But the little offense has really improved from last season. They're averaging 1.66 expected goals when I, I still can't believe it. They won the title last year, averaging 1.27 expected goals per match. And PSG's metrics have been really good. You know, they're allowing under one expected goal match and, you know, averaging 2.24 expected goals. So, I mean, it's the same really good PSG team that we're used to but they do have some players missing in this match. You know, Hakimi got suspended uh, because of the red card against Marseille. Marco Verratti is going to miss this match. And that is really big because he is far and away their best midfielder. And also Lil, they've beaten PSG their last two meetings. So I only have PSG projected at minus 173. So I love Lil plus one and a half at even money. Anthony, are you joining him on that one? Yeah, I am. I'm going to split a unit on plus one and a half and the under 3.25, which is right around minus 115 right now. Uh, I think... Like BJ mentioned, this Lille team has shown the ability to defend PSG, and I know they've added Lionel Messi, but it doesn't really change the overall dynamic of the team all that much. They beat them 1-0 earlier in the Trophée des Champions in the uh, early season, which was the, the cup match winner versus the league winner, in, uh, which was a competitive match. It's not a league match, not quite to that level. It's still kind of sort of preseason-y, but worth something. Uh, and then the two games they played last year were a one, no win for Leo in which PSG created 0.9 XG. And then a goalless draw the two teams played earlier in the season. So this Leo defense is legitimate. Uh, their defensive numbers, as BJ mentioned, have, you know, they, they were overdue for some defensive regression. It came and, you know, we love regression to the opposite extreme. It's kind of funny how that works. Uh, but the reality is the truth is in the middle. And this Leo defense has been one of the better ones in all of Europe. Uh, and so I'm okay with backing them here. On both lines, I think it's a low-scoring game. I don't trust this PSG offense. You could also take a PSG team total under if you don't want to do the splitting of the units. Basically the same bet. So, uh, yeah, that's my look here. The uh, official determination of the DeBundo Cunningham League 1 derby, to, uh, which happened on Wednesday, Marseille won, Nice won. We'll call it a All wash. Well. I'll see you in the spring when we get to do the, <laughs> the reverse fixture of that one. It was a great day of soccer on Wednesday for sure. Yeah, it's why you two are getting along so splendidly today. Uh, with that, let's move on to our favorite portion of the program. I always like to give a warning right before we dive in here. This part is not for the faint of heart. It's our underdog Moneyline Parlay. This week, I like Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga against Leverkusen, Saturday, 930. Uh, Wolfsburg defense, they're the fourth best team uh, in Bundesliga in non-penalty expected goals allowed, third best in shots per 90, second in uh, box entries. So it's a really, really solid defense. Meanwhile, Leverkusen, as Anthony has talked about at nauseum, just overperforming wildly, uh, especially on offense, 10 more goals than their expected goals. So plus 295 on Wolfsburg, who have lost about 100 games in a row. I'm willing to buy low on them here and throw them into this parlay. And BJ, I'll let you take the second leg. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of success with these uh, underdogs by just going against teams that I have vendettas against. So let's go back to it. Let's go Spezia plus 500 against Fiorentina. I, listen, I mean, this Fiorentina team, 
they might have looked good in their last two matches, but I mentioned it last week. They have a negative 1.89 non-penalty expected goal differential, and they're somehow in eighth place in Serie A. And a lot of that is mainly due to the fact their offense has only created 8.62 non-penalty expected goals total this season. That's 19th in Serie A. They're also in 16th in shots per 90 and 18th in big scoring chances. They're also pretty bad against pressure, and this Spezia defense, they're number one in passes per defensive action. So, but you know, Spezia, they're obviously, you know, battling against relegation right now, but they're due for some defensive regression. They've conceded 23 goals off of only 16.22 expected goals. You know, overall for the season, their offense hasn't been great. Only 1.17 expected goals per match, but they've looked a lot better as of late. In the last four matches, they've created 6.73 expected goals, and they really should have beaten uh, Genoa on Tuesday since they created 2.47 expected goals. So, I honestly think it's crazy that Fiorentina is all the way up at minus 185. I only have them projected at even money. So I love Spezia at plus 500. And let's see if we can cash another one against a team I have a vendetta against. Anthony, bring it home. I think we've had six so far. We've each given out two. And I think we had Ryo as a winner. And then last weekend we had another winner who I'm blanking on at the moment. Troy Ace. Um, we had, yeah, Troy Ace against Take uh, that, Reams. Yeah, right. BJ's teams, his bogey teams regress. Mine never do. I'll also be on Wolfsburg with BJ. I like Eintracht Frankfurt plus 300. I'm trying to fade a team I actually like this week to see if it goes a little better. The Leipzig defense, they're still like blaring red lights and flashing regression indicators here. They've allowed at least one expected goal in almost every match they played this year. And it's actually getting worse. It's not really getting better. Uh, Greuther Furt scored, uh, scored a goal. Granted, it was on a penalty, but there were numerous other chances that were created or almost came off. Uh, there's serious issues defensively for this uh, Leipzig team that's conceding a ton of big chances in transition. And that is where Eintracht Frankfurt is very good. They've been excellent at tr- in transition. This attack has not really come along since losing Andre Silva. They have a new manager. I mentioned them in our preseason podcast that I was looking to play against them. Well, they're down in the bottom you know, five or six of the Bundesliga table. I do not think they're that bad. I think they're going to eventually make their way back up the table. They have too much talent to do so. So why not now uh, at three to one, I like uh, Frankfurt here. My projections make them 285. So not a ton of value, but enough for me to get behind them and fade this Leverkusen, this Leipzig defense, which has some serious concerns. Wolfsburg, Spezia and Frankfurt on the money line, 94 to one. Not the 156 to one bomb we gave out uh, Monday, but still a uh, nice one if it comes through. Like I said, don't expect it to. It's 94 to one for a reason. All right, let's wrap this show up. We'll all talk about, briefly talk about our favorite Premier League bet of the weekend. I'll start West Ham plus 155. Let's keep it simple. They're playing Aston Villa. They're on the road. This is a Sunday 1230 kickoff. I just don't think people understand just how good this West Ham team is. They're top five in basically every metric we look at. They are extremely talented in the midfield. They have a finisher. Their defense is good too. If they are just as good as Manchester United, I think that if Manchester United was the one playing Aston Villa on the road, I don't think it would be plus 155. I like this number. I like this team. I'll keep going back to them. Give me the hammers on the money line. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go Liverpool, Brighton, both teams to score plus 105. Liverpool, as dominant as they looked on Sunday against Manchester United, there were some concerns. They allowed 11 shots in the first 40 minutes of that game. They looked very open in the midfield. United were able to get through them and create a bunch of pretty solid chances and probably should have gotten a goal in that match. I'm expecting Klopp, given the injury situation in the midfield, to go again and look to outscore Brighton, which they absolutely can do at home. That doesn't mean they won't be vulnerable and it doesn't mean they won't concede. Brighton will be better at managing that ball pressure. They'll be better at passing through it. They'll be able to create one or two big scoring chances, maybe a few other shots. They'll get on the board here. 
And while Liverpool will probably win this game because of how good their offense is, Brighton gets on the board. Both teams score plus 105. And BJ, wrap this program up. Yeah, let's go Newcastle. Over half a goal at minus 110. I mean, I can't really get behind the Newcastle defense right now. They're bottom five in every defensive metric, including allowing 18 big scoring chances in nine matches. And the offense hasn't been that great, but they do have talented guys like Callum Wilson, Alan St. Maximum that can get at this Chelsea back line. That's so overdue to concede a goal. Only three goals allowed this season off of 10.0 to expected goals. They obviously just thrashed Norwich 7-0, but the expected goal differential was pretty close, closer than you would think on that one. And hey, Newcastle's gotten on the board in eight of their nine matches this season. So let's bet them to get on the board uh, in this one against this Chelsea defense. Newcastle over half a goal at minus 110. And that'll do it uh, for another episode of Wonder Goal. We hope you enjoyed the program. And if you did, please leave a review and make sure when you do that to leave your Twitter handle in uh, said review so you get entered into a contest to win the soccer jersey of your choice for this season. For BJ Cunningham, for Anthony DeBundo, I'm Michael Leboff. We'll see you next week.